0: Podcast 51, Toby Hemingway on the Permaculture Ethics. Sponsored by my buddies at com. Uh, They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest.
1: All right, Toby. All right, so, yeah. Let's talk about the the third ethic. Mm -hmm. So the third ethic is, well, the the way I think of it, I mean, there are a lot of different ways to describe it, but the version that I use is to reinvest the surplus to support the systems that generated that surplus, or just reinvest the surplus is the shorthand. And so Paul has been talking to me about people who say, well, your book, Toby, is so important that we should be giving it away for free and... I always find that kind of ironic because they're they're deciding that someone else's stuff is surplus. I think it's fine to, de- to declare that your own stuff is surplus. You have the right to do that, but you don't have the right to declare that someone else's stuff is surplus. And the other ironic part of that is that to reinvest the surplus means to them give it to me. You know, it's, that's not reinvesting it. I mean, they they are not the systems that generated the surplus. So that's you know the, the surplus needs to be reinvested to support the things that generated the surplus. Uh, and there's, you know, I mean, people make the argument, and, and I think it's a, a perfectly valid argument that by giving away copies of my book, it's liable in the long run to increase sales. And that that may be true. It's just that that's my decision to make, you know, since I created it and would like to retain control. And also part of it is I'm playing the publisher's game. If I had decided to play a copy left or, a, you know, some sort of open source game, I could have done that. But... But when playing the publisher's game, and Chelsea Green is very vigorous in their pursuit of copyright infringement, and they control the rights to the book. So I, I respect their ownership of the rights to the book. Uh, it's quite possible that another book I do will be, you know, I'll print it myself, and I'll give copies away, and I'll put PDFs on the web for free, and all that kind of thing. But that's not the model that I've used for this book. So so I want to live within the rules that, that I've agreed to play with. But, but the, so the story that I, that I was telling was when I very first got into permaculture back in 1990 and I wanted to take a workshop from Michael Polarski. And I didn't, I'd been unemployed for two years, was totally broke, living off of nothing and, you know, already burned through all my savings. So I called up Skeeter and said, you know, I'd like to have a work trade. Can you do a work trade for me? And Skeeter said, and they just started asking me, you know, how old was I and what had I done and kind of what was my skill set and what was my life situation? and, you know, did I own a house and just a few things like that. And then at the end he said, you know, it sounds to me like if you really needed to earn enough money to be able to afford this workshop, you probably could in this workshop are not in that situation. So I can't, I'm going to give the work trade to someone else. And and I got it. I understood what Skeeter was saying was that I had a skill set so that, you know, I could sell a few books or work on, you know, do some work for someone or do something to raise the, whatever it was, 80 bucks or something like that to pay for the workshop. And that, that really stuck with me. So when I, Encounter people who are practicing voluntary simplicity, as they call it. They're living frugally, and they come to me and, and they say, "Can I have a discount to take one of your classes, um, or you know, would you give me one of your books?" I, I try to ask them. Unfortunately, I usually have a little edge to it because I'm pissed off. Um, but I support your being pissed off in yeah. that space. It it does it does anger me when an able-bodied, intelligent person with a good skill set wants a discount simply because because they have decided to live, to live simply because living simply to me means reducing your needs to to live within your means and if you can't afford something then that means you haven't reduced your needs you and to support someone who's asking for a discount i have to give them kind of my surplus if it is indeed my surplus at all so it, it challenges me to see able-bodied intelligent people consuming the surplus that could go to other people who really need it. So basically, try and earn a little bit of money, you know, essentially, yeah, why can't you earn enough money to afford my workshop? And if you really can't, you know, you really can't, okay, we'll work something out. But try and solve the problem yourself before you come to someone else and say, I deserve a subsidy, I deserve a discount. And we can't with As Larry Santorio says, uh, we need a sustainable future, not a subsidized future.
0: So uh, I've got all kinds of comments. So I'm going to hold on to the microphone for a moment. And and I I want to get caught up to where you are. So one of them is, is that Michael Polarski this is the first I've ever heard of Michael Polarski ever saying no to anybody What a he's, he's like the king of sweetness and I and I just kind of can't imagine him ever saying no and so uh, wow that's like extra powerful that, that he that, that he, not only did he say no but he, he, told, he said no to you but it's also kind of cool to, to know how long he's been doing this permaculture thing I mean 1990 mm-hmm. 21 years ago you you said pretty please and He said, said get a job. Figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) But nicely.
1: Get a job. Very nicely. He said it very nicely. Yeah. (laughs) I just, I mean, I got it. No rancor. Just you know, no charge behind it. Just I think you could figure out a way to pay for this, and there are other people who can. So.
0: And then the other thing is, is that I, I I like the way that you put the thing about the the uh, the third ethic, about share the surplus. You, and I hadn't thought of it that way before. So so these people that that are doing whatever their shenanigans in the name of the third ethic, in the name of share the surplus, their message is. I never liked. Them. All- since you signed up for the permaculture package, you must share your surplus. And I'm here to tell you what your surplus right, exactly. is. What your surplus is. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah. Right. I'm here to collect that surplus. Mm. What do you got? One of these is walk into your house, <laughs> open your underwear drawer. <laughs> yeah. You don't need this much underwear. Right. I'm going to take four pairs for myself. Mm-hmm. Ooh, and that's a nice T-shirt, too.
1: Exactly. Exactly, yeah. And we've also spoke a little bit about the <laughs> gift economy that people, you know, I've heard people say, but, you know, this is part of a gift economy, the idea being that they're the ones who should get the gifts a gift economy is based on people giving things away it's not a gift economy in which people give you gifts You, the way a gift gift economy works is that everybody contributes what they can and you don't ask for direct compensation for what you've given but you show that you're a contributing member of the society and then the culture takes care of you but to say this is a gift economy therefore you should give me your book or you should give me a free ticket or you should give me a meal that's not that's a subsidized economy You know, that's a theft economy that's not a gift economy that's where you're telling other people that their surplus should go to you and that's, that is the antithesis of a gift economy
0: I've never heard the expression theft economy before but uh, I, I, I'm sure now that I'll never forget that and, and then that will be my echo every time I hear somebody say gift economy now I once somebody sent me $20 once and, and it was like a postal money order or something like that and and they were saying something I didn't understand I read their stuff and it was they wrote a big long letter to me with this 20 bucks and it was something about how I need to get on board with the gift economy and start giving all my stuff away and I kind of thought I'm kind of a, Am I not already kind of giving everything? What am I not? What am I not giving away?
1: Right. There's no membership charge for permies.com. You know, uh, all you ask is if people play by some of the rules. Other than that, you're yeah, I, I would be hard pressed to think of lots of other people who are not giving more stuff away. In terms of, I mean, what's the most precious gift you can give away? Is your time, right? You don't get that back, so you're giving away a lot of time.
0: Oh, and, and you give away a lot of time too. Like, like right now, I'm not paying you anything. For for this
1: well yeah actually you are I've just gone into your wallet Yeah, no, but, but, I ate your pie <laughs> there we go No, that theft economy is when you decide that someone else's stuff should belong to you right I mean isn't that what theft is <laughs> theft well you decide it and you make it so yes and you do it right yeah <laughs> exactly yeah.
0: and this is okay and that's part of where it gets really hard for me is when I see people doing things that I think are less than ethical and they are waving the third ethic flag, right. and they they insist that I validate their behavior as being totally cool in the name of the third ethic. Yeah. And um, that's about the time that I ban them. Uh, and so we're, it's it's the other thing is is that I feel like uh, the people that are actually doing great awesome acts of meanness, they're they're not talking about ethics at all. They're they like it's like they they, they what was the last time they've ever actually uttered the word
1: ethics well, and the point of the ethics is not to help me or you personally I mean the ethics really teach us about sacrifice you know care for people does not mean you care for me or care for the earth doesn't mean I get to take anything out of the earth that I want and sharing the surplus is the same we are the, the ethics actually mean a type of sacrifice so if you think the ethics mean I should get this stuff you know, then you're you're coming from a completely different place of what the true intention of the ethics is which is a, a selflessness and a giving away you know, and that's, that's what an, e- an ethic is not something that benefits you, you know, that's, that's not how ethics work ethics really are to benefit the larger community so if the ethic is only serving you that's not really an ethic do you think it's possible for people to practice permaculture without ever having heard of the three ethics uh, um, you know I, I, I think so if they already have a pretty decent ethical Grounding as it is, I mean, someone coming from a, a Buddhist or a you know a generally Christian or genuinely Christian or um, just someone who's kind of figured out how things work, you know that you you carry your own weight or whatever whatever your particular ethics are. That if you found a way to live harmoniously, then you probably don't need to worry about the permaculture ethics. You're already doing it. You probably will need to learn about the principles because they're not exactly intuitive either, but. So I, I guess I'm kind
0: of thinking like part of the thing that goes through my mind <clears throat> that is the, a big part of the message that I'm trying to project or part of my uh, devious plots for world domination are um, I, I like the idea of going to a farmer that's currently signed up for the Monsanto package, presenting t- to him some ideas so that he can make some more money. And then the next thing you know, all the food that's available at all grocery stores is permaculture food, not because anybody's on any kind of eco-kick, but entirely because the farmers make more money that way. And so but the thing is 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 that those people I'm I'm thinking that, you know, they, they could possibly get to that point and they'll have never heard of the three ethics or the principles. They'll have heard about, you know, if you do polyculture and you do Hugo culture and you have food for us and you have edge and, and these kinds of things, you make more money. And then they went out and they did it a little bit of time, and next thing you know, they've evolved into a fully a system that any one of us might point at and say, Look at that permaculture system, and yet, you know, they never heard of it. But then it's like, Is that right? Is there a, is there a step that's missing from this where we're going to end up in, um, you know, Enemy. hell or chaos or <laughs> badness because we skipped that step?
1: Well, I think the, the step that's easy to, to skip is the observation step and the accepting feedback step, which is just a form of observation. You know, if it's if it's not working, if you're losing money at it or working really hard or if your soil is being degraded or something like that, then it's, it's not permaculture. I mean, permaculture by definition is a system that restores and renews and generates a surplus and generates a good yield. So for a farmer to move from, a, you know, just barely getting by and borrowing a lot of money to getting a, a decent income and being free and clear, that that requires observation to see what's working and what's going to get them there. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of farmers are just so buried into the system that they can't. You know, all they can see is how to make their next payment, and they're not willing to take a risk, which I can't blame them for at all. It's it's a really scary thing. But the observation step is the piece that I think will keep you from making that critical mistake. Is just is accepting feedback, is, is listening to. You know, is this a better way to do it or not how about this is this a better way I mean, permaculture is, to me is a set of decision making tools and so out of all the possible decisions we try and figure out which one is going to get us closer to where we want to go right now I mean I don't even care a lot of the time what the particular decision is it's just does this get you closer to sustainability does this get you closer to biodiversity does this get you closer to a more harmonious life and permaculture helps you Make those decisions and helps you assess as to whether you're getting closer or not.
0: <clears throat> so, um, uh, I think you totally dodged my question, I and mean, <laughs> masterfully. You damn, you're good. Because, um, frankly, I would try to dodge that question too. Uh, that's, that's an ugly one. I think. I think that if you stand up and say, because I, uh, this is something I'm having trouble coming to grips with myself, mm-hmm. is like, uh, what, what happens if these guys go out and do all this stuff and they don't? Sign up for the, uh, the the ethics package, but the other thing is, is it's kind of like I I think that if they don't sign up for the ethics package, then isn't aren't they going to get burned in multiple different ways along the way? But but it, maybe not. Maybe at the same time they'll go out, they'll do all the permaculture stuff, fans the ethics mostly because they're just not aware that they exist. I would I would think that they would have awesome success, and uh, I don't know would they be able to to, to set up a permaculture agri- ag system and then. Uh, make Make gobs and gobs of money. We'll we'll have lots of permaculture food at Safeway, and the Monsanto food will be so ten years ago. And um, I'm I'm having a hard time finding the downside here. Mm-hmm. So are, uh, you you are it's okay if you dodge this still.
1: <laughs> well, I think I think you could kind of by rote apply the principles. Mm-hmm. So you could have someone come in and hand you a design. Um, you know, I, I think it would be very difficult for say, a farmer to do, to apply a permaculture design themselves without a grasp of the ethics or the principles. I think that someone else could come in and perhaps do that for them, and then they could blindly apply those techniques by rote and get successful doing that. But I think at some point, I mean, any any farm evolves. You know, the soil conditions change or the weather changes, and at some point you have to start listening. So you can't, after a certain period of time, you can't just blindly apply it. I think I think at some point, I mean, I think what happens to a lot of people is they start, like, it's It's like we all get fascinated by permaculture through gardening, or most people do. And then we learn later on, oh, it applies to energy, oh, it applies to water, oh, it applies to, ooh, it applies to relationships, it applies to community, it applies to economics. And I think the same thing would happen to a farmer who's sort of trained to apply it by I wrote, because all of a sudden they realize, oh, wow, I could balance my books using permaculture. Now, I mean, the farmers I know are pretty smart, and they they may apply certain things by rote, but once they get their head a little bit of, above water, they can start to see the consequences of what they're doing. So I'm not sure. I'm, I'm trying not to dodge the question. No, no. I'm
0: going to try and ask it a different way. Okay. That's all right. Okay. So uh, um, uh, um, ethic number one is care of the people. Ethic number two is care of the earth. Ethic number three is share the service plus mm-hmm. um, I, I believe that Monsanto could take those three and say
1: this is these are our ethics this is what we're based on they believe in what they're doing my, my parents knew the CEO of Monsanto at the time and he, he, he was convinced really convinced that they were saving the world that this was the best thing that they could be doing they, they come from what they think are really good ethics the problem is that they're not paying attention to feedback they discard any data that doesn't fit their model and what I like to think of a good permaculturist is doing is saying oh this isn't working we need to change this or look we've got a toxic accumulation here or oh our compost pile has too much nitrogen and it's starting to stink so something's wrong you know and and unfortunately there are a lot of people who are so blinded by we're doing the right thing and we're just going to keep on doing it and not accept any feedback you know the, the key is to be able to observe the consequences of what you're doing.
0: So if these Monsanto guys came down and they looked at your permaculture farm and they offered up feedback about how you should be using Roundup, are you going to dismiss it? Um, I would
1: ask them to show me why I need it. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to have systems in place that make that kind of thing unnecessary. So okay. to show that I have other other techniques, and you know, we can argue about the data of you know, Roundup's toxic and blah blah blah. Like that.
0: Well, see, I'm thinking I, I like the idea of the ethics being something that's going to make it easier to do permaculture, but but frankly, so far, what I've seen, what, what's been my personal first-hand experience and second-hand experience, and like watching what other people do, has been that it's It's doing more harm than good. I, I mean, like the thing we were just talking about, the third ethic, people are using the ethics as weapons mm-hmm. to do very unethical things, in, in my
1: opinion. Right, and I think that is that is the danger of having a system that is grounded in, say, of ethics is that most of us are trained to apply stuff by rote. We're taught in school to solve math problems by applying a formula, and the idea of actually being able to do independent, critical thinking about is this working or is it not? You know, is this in the spirit of what is trying to be done or not? Um, I, I think one of the one of the things that to me is always an alarm going off is if the ethics are serving me, then I'm probably not really following the ethics. If the ethics are working primarily to my benefit, then that's... In, it's, it's just like you know the ruling class always says, we are the ones most fit to rule. You never see a ruling class decide that some other class is the one most fit to rule. And when you start making those sorts of decisions of you know our way is the best way, which of course I believe about permaculture is that it's a great way to do things simply because it's a broad set of decisions making tools and not, you know, it's not like sheet mulching is the best way to build soil all the time under any conditions. It's not. There are times when you don't want to sheet mulch. There are times when mulch is the wrong thing to do. So you have to be willing to accept that feedback. And that's that's where you can get into trouble with the ethics if you you just align the ethics so that care of people means care of you and care of the earth means you give me fertilizer and share the surplus means you give me the surplus. Plus. You know, when you find that it's only serving you, then you know that you're doing something wrong. So I guess in order to apply the ethics, you have to be an ethical person to begin with.
0: So basically, what yeah, it, what's going to happen is is that people with ethics already are going to lean on those ethics to be able to, to help them do good things. But the people that that really don't give a shit, they'll they'll use the ethics to justify their less than ethical behavior. So in which case, these three ethics haven't really
2: changed. Anything. At
0: least that's what my feeling is at the moment. It sounds like you're kind of validating that, and I'm, and
1: I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I think to some extent that's true. I mean, I think people come to permaculture when they're ready for it. I mean, that's that's why when folks talk about how can we get permaculture into the city government or something like that, it's like that's probably not going to work. I mean, part of the reason that permaculture is just now entering the mainstream is because there hasn't been a need for it. You know, our water systems work, our highway systems system works, you know, Our health system more or less works, you know, things like that. And so you, you you only come to permaculture when you actually need it, I think. I mean, there's some of us who just think, wow, whole system thinking, that's really cool, you know, or a great way to do gardening, that's really cool. There's some people who are just going to do that. But I think the the mainstream is only going to come to permaculture when it's going to solve an actual problem of theirs. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of people, I think, yeah, they probably are initially just going to have to apply permaculture by rote. I mean, I didn't come to permaculture because I thought the ethics were cool. I just, you know, and to some extent, I thought the ethics were this thing kind of added on to the top that, you know, yeah, we should pay attention to the ethics. But what I liked was multiple functions, edge, you know, all those cool permaculture concepts. And then after I got to understand those, I saw why the ethics had to be there. But I didn't get the ethics first. I didn't come there because... Oh, it's an ethical system that really attracts me. This is a system that works and, and thinks in terms of whole systems, and that's what attracted me to it. So I think you, the, the permaculture needs to fill in a, a need for people before they're going to be attracted to it. And then hopefully they'll see that the ethics are an important part of it. Um, I think that a lot of folks who come in with the idea of share the surplus means you give me your surplus and I decide what surplus. Um, that, that those are folks who are not coming to it because of a need. They're coming to it because it's groovy or it's hip or it you know fits their value you know sort sort of their value system of you know it's a world of abundance and all the abundance goes to me. Is Sepp Holzer's work com- would you call it permaculture? I would I would completely call it permaculture because it's so observation based. <laughs> you know he watches what the pigs do. He watches what the weeds do. He watches you know what the microclimates are doing. Any any acts based on that, even though I don't think Sepp, you know, read the designer's manual and memorized the principles or anything like that. Um, he just did it through straight observation, just like Fukuoka and a lot of other people who are practicing permaculture without calling it that at all. And I think, you know, to some, I, I actually am pleased that Sepp has embraced the word permaculture rather than, than deciding that permaculture should be what he's doing. You know, it's been nice of him because he, he figured it out all on his own before in a lot of ways, before it was called permaculture. But because it's observation-based and it's, it's working with nature and using nature-based systems to help him make his decisions, it's, it's utterly permaculture, some of the finest I've seen.
0: I, I saw something where he had his permaculture principles. No, Now, you have 14. I believe it's Holmgren that has 12. And, and Holzer has 8. But now the interesting thing about his 8 is he puts them in a circle... Much like Holmgren does, and then um, four of the eight are so. The so so number one, three, five, and seven of the eight are um, uh, observed. As one is observed, three is observed, five is observed, and seven is observed. And I think I think uh, number six might be profit, which I think my are not covered in uh, Holmgren. And they is profit
1: mentioned in yours? Well yield, I think is, is how Holmgren thinks of it. Is that, that in order for the, the system needs to sustain you in some way for you to keep applying your energy to it. And so I think we just we just call it yield or abundance or you know that that sort of thing. But the Mollisonian principles and mine are essentially Mollison's principles. Um, you know Molson talks about the, the principal limit to yield is the, the imagination of the designer. So we, you know, we, do, we do talk about what I guess SEP would call profit. We just think of it as, as the yield of the system that surplus to the system's needs that can take care of our needs if we don't consider ourselves part of the system. And I think SEP very much considers himself part of the system. Yeah, the, the observation step, what I like about, about SEP's kind of principles is that he does say observe, but you're kind of observing at a different level each time you come around and do it. There's observing what does this place need. Need, and then there's, you make some changes and then you observe, okay, what did those changes do? So you make more changes based on those and then it's, okay, where are we at now? So you're now making the same set of observations each time your observations are evolving each time you come around and make a new set of them.
2: So, <clears throat> profit.
0: Some people, I've, I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, because I, I go out and I advocate uh, stuff like, uh, you know, there's those folks over in Spain and Trans where they sell hams for four thousand dollars a ham, and I say, well, okay, you know, now we know how much people will pay for a ham. Let's let's start selling our pork for something on you know that scale, and maybe we can even sell it for more. And then I've had people tell me that's not permaculture. So uh, apparently they believe that the function of permaculture should be that we should uh, be able to sell food for I suppose less than what Safeway sells it, or maybe comparable, or or. Or, you know, kind of like on par. I know that Fukuoka was very emphatic that his rice sold for exactly the same price as all other rice in the region and that it did not fetch a higher price. How do you feel about the um, Because, of course, Holzer will sell his stuff for double the price if he can get it. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about profit in permaculture?
1: Well, I think, I mean, profit is the surplus that you can apply back to the system to keep it running, for one thing. Exactly. But of course, there's you know there's um, kind of unreasonable profit, I guess. The, I, I'm I'm actually a pretty firm believer in charging what the market will bear. In a way, is that you know I'm just like you know if someone doesn't have very much money, I'll sell them a copy of my book at my cost or even less. You know, but if someone has the a especially that they seem cool, exactly, they better be cool. They gotta seem cool. Well be yeah, cool. yeah, exactly. I mean jerks, <laughs> right? Jer- jerks have to pay more, but you know I had to pay full price. <laughs> exactly, that's right. You should, but you know, if if someone has a decent income, then they should pay what what they can afford. I mean, I, and you know, who who is to assess that? That's the that's the negotiation between buyer and seller that goes on all the time. But I'm I'm very much a believer in arriving at a market price in this sense when two individuals can come together and negotiate, rather than you know a corporation tells you what you should be paying for the product or you know, the corporation says, We'll buy a thousand of these from you at a much smaller price. That's that's not an equal negotiation. But when two parties come together to negotiate as equals, then the price is is what those two parties agree upon. And you come to the to the table with some information. You know, if someone drives up in their Mercedes and is wearing nice clothes, it's like, oh, there's someone who will definitely pay full price for my book. You know and that's I mean I'm using that information because there's an exchange that goes on that should be a fair exchange. And I'm I'm definitely a believer in non-zero-sum games. If you can't figure out a solution where everybody wins, then you're not doing good design. So I want to sell my book to people at a price that they're happy at paying, and I want to get a price that I'm happy at getting. And if I see someone who doesn't have very much money and they're delighted to get my book for my cost, that works for me. So if I see someone else to whom 30 bucks is nothing, you know, then I'm delighted to get their $30, and they're happy to have you know, screwed me out of a book for a mere $30, and we're all happy. So it's, it's mostly just, you know, does the transaction make you happy? And if you're happy paying $4,000 for a jamón from uh, from Spain, then then okay, but uh, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> so now, um, uh, in this podcast, I
0: have asked you some very uncomfortable questions questions and now I want to move into phase two of uncomfortable questions <laughs> because you're, you're sitting you're sitting in a very comfortable place mm-hmm. surrounded by a bunch of really lovely people and so maybe your tolerance of uncomfortable questions <laughs> go, is, yeah. is
1: higher and more
0: so, so now I'm going to wander into a topic that you and I don't agree on mm-hmm. or we might not agree on maybe we do and we just don't know it but, but we were talking about it a little bit earlier today
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that is that when I took my permaculture design course, it was It was labeled as a permaculture certification course. Right. Get your become a certified oh, permaculture gosh. designer by taking this course for two weeks, right And now there's a lot of folks that are talking about <clears throat> that's not okay. and you're you're part of that group and and there's even been some talk about how to formalize what does uh, what does a designer mean, what does a few other terms mean, and things of that nature. So um, uh, now, now I've kind of given a hint and where where we're going and where I'm at on it. Right. Now you can tell me why I'm stupid. Sure. Well, I
1: don't think you're stupid at all. I think it it boils down to if you feel like after taking a two week course that you are a designer, that you could go out and work with clients and do design work for them that will be successful designs, then then you are a designer. You know, if, if, you, if you can actually get the feedback from your clients that, you know, they love your work and, and it's working really well and the designs are functional, then, then you can call yourself a designer. But I think to present yourself to clients, if your only design experience is a two-week permaculture course, if you go out and say, I'm a certified designer, just like you would say, I'm a licensed architect or I am a practicing physician with an M.D., you know, and I know how to cut you open and sew you back up again, and everything will be well. Um, if, if you if you yeah, do not have good design skills, then you shouldn't call yourself a designer. Yeah. If you have no experience doing design work, then you shouldn't call yourself designer. So I, you know, I'm, I'm the, the like like we've said. You know, that train has already sailed. I mean, the you know the cat is out of the barn, or however you want to describe it. But <laughs> there are people out there calling themselves certified permaculture designers right after they've taken a design course and that's that's their sole experience and I I think that's misleading I think a client would be very surprised to find that your only experience is having taken 72 hours of of instruction to me it takes a couple years of experience if not more before you would be reasonable in calling yourself a designer so that's that's my only issue I don't think you're really a designer after taking two weeks of of course if that's your only experience if you're, you know, a landscape designer who takes a permaculture course, then I would say, yeah, you've just certified yourself in, in permaculture at that point, because you're already a designer, and now you're one who has permaculture in your toolkit.
0: I think that's an awesome answer <clears throat> although I do also think that uh, I mean like one of the problems that I encounter is people who are just freshly learning they've they either never never heard the word permaculture or else they uh, they've just recently heard it like I, I heard a woman the other day
2: saying that she believes she
0: grows the best tomatoes in the world and her secret is llama poop and that she brings in llama poop every year and so therefore and and uh, um, and then there's also, the people who bring in compost, and, uh, um, and they believe they have the best tomatoes every year, and, and I think a lot of it is, is like, you know, you have there's there's a there's another set of tomatoes you haven't seen yet,
1: right? Yeah. yeah. Do you know that they're the very best? Exactly. Well, I could I could see a person who's
0: completed a permaculture design course being able to visit with these people, and there is a huge amount of information that they can offer with mm-hmm. their tomatoes, so they can have even more spectacular. Tomatoes than they've ever seen,
2: um,
0: but they just yeah. so. So I think that uh, somebody. Well, anyway, but yeah. There's there's there were some there was some talk for a while between different groups of folks where it's kind of like we need to, to start coming up with some official words and we need to regulate who gets to call who or what and and mm-hmm. um, right. and, and I just think that that one word certified designer mm-hmm. that one that one's boned because there's already a lot of people out there that are that are waving that right. flag and. And um uh because they just took a a, a two week P D C and I, I don't I don't think we're ever gonna get that one. So so maybe the, are there new words being worked on? Is there new? I mean, I know that there's the Permaculture Institute system. There's right. the, the one in Australia. Um, Scott Pittman's got the one in um, here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure that there's a bunch of others. And I think that they're trying to hammer something out. And, and you hang out with those guys far more than I do. Right.
1: What's, what's the skinny? Well, all we're, we're trying to I think... The the most that the Permaculture Institute, there's like, oh well, no, the least, I guess you'd say. There's all sorts of dreams about what a Permaculture Institute could do. And I think the least that a Permaculture Institute could do is to say to a group of people with teaching experience, are you interested in playing with us? If you're interested in becoming on this Institute's list of teachers, then let's take the steps so that you could do that. So it's it's not a police force. It's not a you have no right to be teaching permaculture or anything like that. It's more a hey, we've heard you do really good work. You want to come over and play with us? And if someone comes to the institute and says, hey, I'd really like to become one of your one of the teachers as part of the institute's membership list, we'd figure out ways for that process to happen. And you know, if someone says, look, I'm just starting out teaching and I'd like to become, you know, a registered Teacher, with your institute, how do I do that? We'd figure out, you know, what's the program for you to be able to do that. To me, it's, it's, if if you can teach a permaculture design course, essentially, like if you can teach all the modules, most of them, then you ought to be able to get on a registration list as, as a teacher for the institute. You know, it's just, are you competent? Just, I mean, it's the same question about being a designer. Can you do design work? Okay, then you're a designer. Can you teach the most of a permaculture design course course and have your students learn and have them enjoy it, okay, then you're a permaculture teacher. I'm, I'm not into, at this point, you know, tests and, you know, advanced learning courses that you must take one a year in order to stay, you know, I'm not into a whole set of rules. Um, I, I really believe in kind of the self-policing nature of, of permaculture is, you know, if you spot someone who's not behaving, behaving ethically. You give them a call and say, "Hey, we're hearing that you're not behaving ethically. What's up?" You know, and yeah. if someone's doing a good job teaching, you say, "Hey, you're doing a great job teaching. You want to come play with us?" But, but I, I have a hard time making it more formal than that. It's just my personal preference. Um, but I, I, do think that they that part of permaculture's emergence into the mainstream is that if you compare it to say, you know, architects or Meet, 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 just landscape professionals or whoever. There are certification programs for almost all of them. So, how do we how do we look halfway professional to people who don't know much about it? You know, and that's what the one of the things a certificate does. That's what a teacher training does. That's what an institute does. So, I, I like to have all of those institutions and criteria as informal as we can, but still have them rigorous. Enough so that they actually serve a function instead of are meaningless. I'd say my only concern in
0: that space is I know some people that teach permaculture and they really suck. They really don't get it. They're horrible. They're awful. They uh, and and on top of that they charge some of the highest prices. And I'm worried that someone somewhere would say we hereby give you the stamp of approval to say. That that you're a OK, and um, and then suddenly I would say that the moment that that happens, the value of the entire institution just went down the drain, and um, and so I'm not sure how do you mitigate that or anything. And I'm not asking that question. Mm-hmm. I'm just whining out loud. Right. It is my podcast. I get to do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> but uh, I, I I'm expressing that to you, and I feel right. that by expressing it to you, I'm
1: sure that you share that sentiment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I worry about that too, except that I've seen and I'm not going to name any names or anything like that. I'm but trying I, to I've avoid names. Yeah, myself. Yeah, exactly. Because they would sue. <laughs> yeah, right. I'd, yeah, those are, they're the sort of people who would sue. There, there have been instances where people have taught horrible courses. They don't know what they're doing or they promise things that they haven't delivered. And generally, the word gets out, perhaps not to their unfortunate students who give them a bunch of money and then take a course it turns out to be awful. Um, but the word gets out within the community that these people are not doing a very good job. And you know, then we we try to call them on that. You know, We, we being these people who have been doing permaculture, been using permaculture or teaching permaculture for a long time. So, so far, I haven't seen that happen. And I would like to think that any sort of certifying body or institute or whatever you want to call that, what I've generally seen is that <laughs> Their criteria are fairly like like I mean I think it's great having Scott Pittman at the helm of the Permaculture Institute because he's a you know he he's a conservative in the sort of teaching that he accepts and I think that's great I think Scott actually sets the bar pretty high and so it would be very difficult for someone who's you know teaching hand holding and purple breathing as most of a permaculture course to actually get by Scott he doesn't purple like breathing what's purple breathing Oh you know just, just, you know, okay, some you know yeah, feeling your chakras and, you know, okay. all that sort of thing, which is great, it's just not part of permaculture design, that's all, and so you, I don't, you know, courses, there's a curriculum to cover and Scott is pretty rigorous about making sure that that curriculum is covered.
0: So I've never met Scott Pittman, but he has a link to my website, so
1: I like him a lot. Yep, <laughs> yep, Scott, Scott, Scott's great and I have the utmost respect for for what he's done and, that's you know, hes he, taught with Bill and survived, so that's a, that's a pretty, good,
0: pretty good thing right there. I, I think we just learned more about Bill Mollison than than I thought we might learn. I I was reading in in your book. I was I was quoting uh, some things that you said about about Bill that I thought were really cool. He used to be a trapper. I didn't know that until I read your book again. Uh, I must have forgotten that. Like, but anyway, he just sounded so cool. But but now to talk to Bill and survive it sounds like a challenge. As <laughs> you get Survivor Man I don't know whatever they call that guy. We're going to put you in a room with Bill Mollison
1: for an hour. Yep. Yeah, no. Bill, Bill is great. He's cantankerous and larger than life, and you know, and I, I love him dearly, even though he, he can piss me off just the way he's pissed off just about everybody else he's encountered. But, but he we, sounds we, like oh, me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he knows more than you do, but he's just as obnoxious.
0: <laughs> awesome. Now I gotta go to Australia and meet him.
1: Yeah, really, it's it's worth it. Definitely getting the Bill experience. I mean, he's 83 and he's slowing down. a did, but um, you know, he's, he's, he's always still going to be Bill. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, so
0: I think we've filled up a podcast pretty good there. E- anything else that we should cover, like on painful political, ethic topics, the stuff that's kind of like, I think, kind of off topic?
1: Right. No, I just I just want to reiterate that if, if the only person the ethics are serving is you, then you're probably not following the ethics, and just and that's part of doing the observation stuff is what actually are the consequences of what you're doing and and looking at how it's affecting the rest of the world. It's the first step in permaculture and and the second and the third and the fourth. Just observe and see how it's working. Is this the most annoying interview you've ever been subjected to? (laughs) No, there have been some that that have been at least more tedious than this, but uh, no, I'm grateful for you for just boring in on those questions and make sure I answer them. (laughs) I'll try harder next time
0: <laughs> actually I, I do think that this is this is a lot of stuff that uh, uh, I, I'm glad to, to have recorded you talking about several of these things because I, I feel like uh, now when these people start doing inappropriate things we can direct them to this podcast maybe they'll uh, change their tune a little bit and, and maybe help us all move forward rather than tearing a few people down in a, in a mist in a, in a twisted idea and, and helping others.
1: Yeah, I mean, all, I guess all I'm, you know, I don't want to lay down a bunch of rules or anything like that, just just reminding people to ask, is what you're doing serving a larger community?
2: You know,
1: and if it's doing that, I mean, really doing that, not just serving you, but, you know, measurably helping a larger community, then it's probably just fine.
0: Well, so they would then say that by taking your stuff and giving it away to millions of people is probably just fine then, mm-hmm.
1: according to your own words. Yep, that's it. But uh, I'm part of a larger community too. And if you're pissing somebody off, you know, depending on on who sort of who are the stakeholders and who are the rights holders, I think, is another important piece of it. You know, Bill, Bill is legitimately annoyed with people who copy large parts of the designer's manual and, and you know, don't credit him, don't pay him him, don't offer him anything. And I think, for me, it's, if, if you think that the designer's manual or Gaia's garden or whatever is a great resource that should get out there, if you think the information in it, because that's really what it's about, right, is the information in the designer's manual, the information in these books, if you think the information is so great that it's got to get out there, then it ought to be great enough for you to spend some time creating your own version of and getting it out there. That's great. If someone wants to take anything out there and write it in their own way paraphrase it make little sketches of it in their own way or make a YouTube video of it or whatever that is great just run it through yourself first so that it's yours and then, then send it out there
0: so let's talk I just had an idea I know I was going to wrap up the podcast but I've got and, and I think this is pretty important so I like this somebody is on permies.com and they copy a paragraph out of your book and then they say Toby Hammond way says in Gaia's garden and then there's the
1: paragraph Mm -hmm. Um, cool or not cool I got no problem with someone making a photocopy of the entire book I really you know that and and I'm speaking privately as the author my publisher would hate to hear me say that (laughs) Um, but I mean if you want to copy something personally for your own use or if you want to you know transcribe an excerpt to the book and put it up on your website or something like that um, and again my publisher would not agree with me on this but but for me personally that 's fine that's it's the it's the appropriating something and distributing it yourself without the permission of the person who actually created it that that bothers me if if you If you want to copy it and use it that 's great if you want to use it for yourself um, that's that's absolutely fantastic you know if you want to benefit from my work personally, please go ahead and do that. But if you want to distribute it, um, it Talk to me about that and we'll work something out.
0: So, of course, pu- putting it up on com would be effectively publishing it. And in fact, somebody else would, uh, would be sort of having me publish it for them because it's my site and they've put something on my site. So I'm the publisher and they've put it out there. But now, now for myself, I know that for my articles and stuff like that, I, I generally feel like if somebody says, you know, here's a paragraph or two and one image and then it links back to the original source for the full. For all the images in the full article, I'm totally cool with that. But I, um, uh, but when people go and they will copy all of my article and say that they wrote it, uh, or if they copy all of uh, my article and still make a link to me, I'm not even comfortable with the whole article and a link to me. Mm-hmm. That's my personal discomfort. Uh, or if they'll take a bunch of pictures and use it in their own stuff and they don't give me credit or a link to my stuff, that's not okay with me. But this is these are my boundaries,
1: and it sounds like your boundaries are. Your boundaries are looser than my boundaries? They're they're fairly similar um, in that I mean I'm I'm used to people copying my articles and putting them up on their website. The first few times I saw that, it ticked me off, and I wrote them and said, "Would you please at least credit me or something?" You know, or do link back to my site. Or but but now you know I've gotten used to the web. It's just it's what people do. Anything that's sort of and I mean I, again, I'm never going to stop the distribution of PDFs of my book. It's out there. It's I'm not going to stop it if I if I encounter an individual who is distributing it, I will just ask them nicely to please take it down. That you know, it's not theirs to distribute. But for the most part, I mean, I, I'm very much a believer in kind of the fair use clause of copyright. Is that if you want to put up a paragraph or a page or something like that, you know, some small chunk as kind of a demonstration of what's there, then that's fine with me. If you want to take something wholesale and begin acting as a distributor of, lower down, you know, a and I, I don't know where that line is. Somewhere more. More than a page and less than a chapter, and then I would say you're you've kind of crossed the line into appropriating material that's not yours and acting as a distributor of it. In other words, if. if you get into a point where a lawyer would probably sue you, then you've probably gone too far. You know? But for me, I'm, I'm not going to pursue someone putting up a page or two or that sort of thing. It's, it's fine. It's great. Information needs to get out there. Um, it's just at some point it begins to interfere with my livelihood. Um, at some point you have come into my yard and taken something of mine and are handing it panning it out.
0: So. Well, for what it's worth, at is we get a lot of it. <laughs> sure. people wanting to share it, and I I delete all mention of it. And my, my philosophy is is that I don't even want people to know that this kind of thing is even going on. So I don't want to even say, we don't allow that. What I do is I just delete it all, I ban the user, and it's all gone. Any, so um, uh, for a while there, we had a thing about, like, uh, there was a PDF available of the uh, the big black book, the designer's manual. And so I, I wrote to Tagari, uh, you know, know, saying, hey, you know, have you guys done this? Have you guys said it's okay? And I never heard back. Huh. And so eventually I took the link down, but I left the rest of the thread there because I, I thought for sure they would write back and say, no, this is not okay. Yeah, I was I was a little shocked too. Yeah. But our my general policy, and on, on my bigger website, Java Ranch, we get tons of that. And we are deleting that kind of stuff all the time. Mm. And um, there's just all kinds of people that, that are even coming up with schemes to make money money on that kind of thing so um, we're, we're working hard all the time so we've, I've got a pretty pretty stiff policy on that personally which now I've totally violated that to the pod the pod people uh, by, by saying this verbally but I, I really kind of think dear, dear pod people that if you find any evidence of this anywhere see what you can do to remove it completely not just say hey that's bad um, and uh, um, but hey that's bad is better than you know like if you go into a forum and you see that somewhere, uh, that somebody's posted a PDF of something that, that there's not, it's not okay, mm-hmm. and then saying, hey, that's bad, beats being able to delete it. Like, we don't have the capacity to delete it. But I would write to the people that own the, the forums and say, I happen to know that that's not okay, that that's a copyright violation. Yep. And you, as the forum owner, are now exposing yourself to a lawsuit uh, by, by um, uh, announcing uh, this kind of thing. So... Um, anyway I, I think it's important to and'm I'm, I'm a I guess I'm a greedy bastard uh, in that I I'm well as a I've, I've been a software developer for a long time and then people would steal my stuff all the time and i I'm kind of like uh, uh, wow that's the great way to have only crap software in fact this is a great time also to say if you ever visit a website and you think that content is awesome you
2: know
0: you should do you should you should visit one of the sponsors sponsors on that page. Generally there's like mm. some kind of sponsor on that page. Visit the sponsor and show that, you know, hey sponsor, I like this stuff. Keep sponsoring this guy. Mm. Um, because right now there's support their work. In other words. Yeah, support their work. That's all it is. And it's like, you know, then the advertisers like Wow, I've been advertising with you for a year and I've gotten twenty thousand clicks.
1: Uh, I wanna I wanna support you for another year.
2: I do actually
1: I mean, what do we want to see more of in the world, you know, then support the people who are creating that. And, I mean, one of the things you're, you're talking about, Paul, is we, as the creators of works, we, we're we the ones who get to make the rules about it. And, and I like that policy of if, if someone wants to give away their own work, that's great. If someone wants to, you know, put it under lock and key, that's, that's their right. It's it, if, if someone likes the information in it and that information, and that form, that book is under lock and key. Somehow, there, you have an absolute right to rewrite that information yourself. You don't have the right to the artist's method of expression. That's the part that belongs to the artist. But you know, your forum, you get to decide the rules. My book, I get to decide the rules. And someone else wants to create something, they get to decide the rules. And I, I think that's a perfectly fair system. And I'm certainly willing to listen to arguments. I mean, I like, like I said, um, I may very well. all well, My articles, I give away. I don't. I don't charge for my articles, you know. And there's there's a lot of other material that I'm totally happy to give away because I think that's that's where it should be. And I may write a book that is essentially given away or you know, licensed in some way. So there's freeware, and then there's stuff you pay for. Um, but it's it's up to the creator of it to make those decisions. It's back to that surplus article. You know, you don't get to decide that someone else's stuff is surplus to their needs. They they get to decide that. So the creator gets to make the rules, and I think that's a perfectly good system because the idea is we want to encourage creativity and in order for creativity to be encouraged you need to provide a benefit to the creator you need to balance that with the desires of society to see this stuff disseminated but I think the best way to see stuff disseminated is to encourage the creator to produce it in the first place
0: I think that's an excellent point I think one of the things in the one of the designer manual was is that people were saying the price is too high it was like at the time I think it was like 160 bucks, it's very expensive. Yeah, and and they saying the price is too high, and it's like, well, then don't buy it. Enough. You know, go get it at the library. Right. It's at almost every library I've ever been to. So, um, but you know, giving it away—that's not—that's not okay. That's that's the violation of the author's uh, rights, and, and and he gets to make the rules.
1: Right, and you know, it was Bill's choice to privately publish, which is going to be often more expensive than going to a to a press, and it's just the decisions he's made, and that information, I mean, Bill. Bill has what is it, 14 pamphlets or something that Dan Hemingway has put up on his website of, you know, that covers a big chunk of the material in the designer's manual, and those are freely downloadable PDF files. So it's you can find the stuff out there. There's there's alternatives to stealing it. The information's out there in other forms almost always.
0: And yeah, there's, there's tons and tons of free stuff out there. And the people, people argue that it's like, well, we need to have it in this format, and it's a good format. It's a good, you know, and this information has to be disseminated. I think that's the same old lame argument. All right, I think we're, I think we can finally hit the done button. You ready to hit the done button? All
1: right, it's been good, very, very good. Thanks, Paul. All
0: right, come on. If you like this kind of thing, come on to the forums at permies.com, dot com, where we talk about books, homesteading, and permaculture all the time.